One, two, three. Are you ready? Welcome to the second season of the Unmasked Seven. So this season promises to be educative, informative, and entertaining. I am your host for this evening, Miss Ava George. And I'm your co-host, Miss Aika Driver. In light of the recent guilty verdict against Rodman Lewis and the call for the death penalty by the state, the issue of the death penalty has become increasingly prevalent. So ladies and gentlemen, what better way to discuss this local and regional issue than by engaging a panel of five intelligent aspiring lawyers. Aika, can you do the honors of introducing our esteemed panelists? I most certainly can, Emma. We have Miss Wendy Wallace, Mr. Kevin Julian, Miss Gabrielle Saint-Hilaire, Miss Chelsea Lawrence, and last but certainly not least, Miss Delangelo Lewis. So welcome to each of our panelists for this evening. So we're going to go straight into the meat of the matter, right? So we're discussing the death penalty. So the first question that I have for you guys is, is the death penalty truly a deterrent for crime? Thank you for that question, Emma. The public has been long favorably disposed towards the death penalty for convicted murderers, and that support continues to grow. Part of the support for the death penalty comes from the belief that murderers should be executed for retributive reasons, such as murderers should suffer and the retributive effects of life imprisonment are insufficient for taking a life. While such views are worthy of debate, there is no empirical research that can tell us if the argument is a correct or incorrect one. I personally reject the view that the practice of the death penalty will will deter crime. The death penalty does and can do little to reduce the rates of crime. Many crimes are committed in the spur of a moment, leaving little opportunity for potential punishments to influence whether the crime is committed in the first place, and as most criminals do not expect to get caught. The death penalty may even increase the rate of violence. Execution is the ultimate sanction a state can inflict upon a person. Once criminals have knowingly committed an indictable crime, they no longer have interest in lessening their potential punishment by not committing further murders or other offenses. The crimes will continue as criminals will feel as if they have nothing to lose. The death penalty has been shown to have a brutalizing effect on society. The death penalty only serves to endorse the use of force and to continue the cycle of violence. From what I gathered is you are saying that it is truly not a deterrent for crime. So, Kevin, do you agree with that? Do you think that the death penalty is not a deterrent for crime? Hi, thanks for that warm welcome. Um, I'd like to say hello to all of the to all of my colleagues here present tonight. Um, I believe that the death penalty is a deterrent for crime because from my point of view, every day, each one of us, we wake up and we open our eyes, we can see, we can hear, we can taste. And I believe that if you can imagine your own life, your own life that you are living can be taken away from you, can be legally, <laughs> legally taken away from you, then I believe that 
deters crime. When you kill someone, you deprive that victim of ever meeting their family, their friends. That victim will never be able to see these people again. And these people will never be able to see that victim anymore. So I believe that through the death penalty, it will deter the amount of crimes, especially murder, especially murder more in particular. Yes, that's my opinion. Thank you, Kevin. So I am understanding that you not only look at what the death penalty could actually do for the um, perpetrator, but you're saying that what their, their view is that it would also affect their families and they would basically be losing time with their families, which we see that most pe persons just don't want. So Wendy, what do you think? Um, Emma, before I go into my response, allow me to wish the other panelists and our listeners a very happy new year. And I just want to let you guys know how excited I am to experience what 2021 has in store for the Unmasked Seven. And I also want to congratulate Delan for her contribution in the recent matter um, relating to the conviction of um, Rodman Lewis. Now, with that said, Emma, Emma, I do not believe, I'm not in agreement with Kevin, Kevin's argument. Kevin believes that the death penalty is a deterrent to crime. I disagree. I'm more in line with Delan's response um, where she spoke about the fact that there is no empirical evidence to support the correlation between, um, between the death penalty and crime. And she also spoke on the, on the composition of such criminal activities on a whole, which occurs at the spur of the moment to sort of irrationalize um, the correlation between the death penalty and murder. Now, I want to delve a little bit deeper to solidify why I disagree with Kevin, because I know he's going to come back for me. So, Emma, with that said, no, it is not a deterrent for murder. And I say, I say murder because in most Caribbean countries, including Antigua, Dominica, and the other OECS states, the death penalty is actually reserved for murder. And I understand why some persons may be quick to allude to that contention that the death penalty um, is worse, is the worst of the worst um, of penalties, and so it must result in fewer murders, possibly because it intimidates offenders. This, this entire dispute to me is highly mythical. In fact, there is not the slightest credible empirical evidence that the death penalty reduces the rate of murder. And if you're looking at evidence or studies done right here within the Caribbean islands, six out of 10 countries in the Caribbean with the highest homicide rates actually retain the death penalty. We're talking about Bahamas, Belize, Guatemala, Jamaica, St. Kitts, Trinidad and Tobago. In fact, the year after Charles Elroy was executed in December 2008 in St. Kitts, which was the last execution in the Caribbean, and it is fairly recent too, the number of murders actually increased from 23 to 27. 
the United Nations Office for Drug and Crime actually classified Jamaica as the country with the highest murder rate in the world. And yet the figures show that there is no correlation between the death penalty and murder. And let me just touch a little bit on um, Delan's point again, because if you look at the composition of this matter, the death penalty really would not work. And I say this because murder isn't really a rational act. Most of the times, it's not a rational act that is done by, let's say, a rational person who carefully thought through the consequences of his actions. Majority of the times, people who actually engage in, in, in murder are generally filled with an extremely high degree of hate or anger or they suffer from some kind of psychological or emotionally unbalanced state. Sometimes some of these people, I would dare say they are, in, they are more in need of some kind of drug therapy. So to think that outing a person to death will deter irrational persons from committing murder is even more irrational. And it has no chances of succeeding in our, Caribbean, in our criminal justice system. So guys, I really have to agree with Wendy's point and I'm really glad that we can be here to discuss such a difficult issue but a much needed discussion um, has to happen. So with regards to the death penalty being a deterrent, as I said previously, I somewhat agree with Wendy's statement because I don't think that the death penalty is a deterrent to crime. Um, when we think about deterrence, we have to think in two perspectives, general deterrence and individual deterrence. In the cases of general deterrence, yes, the average thinking and functioning individual may be deterred to commit a crime if they see that the highest possible punishment is, you know, them losing their life. However, that's the same effect, that's the same deterring effect that prison would have that a lifetime of imprisonment or years of imprisonment, years of solitary confinement, it would have the same effect. So when we're thinking about general deterrence, the death penalty doesn't incite any new kind of fail that you know the normal prescribed imprisonment would, in, would incite. When we're thinking about individual deterrence now, we have to look at the factors that influence you know, individuals to commit gruesome acts, so when we're thinking about these individuals, there are individuals, offenders with compulsions and compulsive behaviors that will not be deterred if you, if you implement the death penalty. For them, it's not about, oh, I will take this person's life, so I have to stop because I might die. No, for them, it's a need, it's a compulsion. It's something that they cannot do. It's a mental illness something that goes beyond just waking up one day and deciding, you know, I might kill this person or I might kill that person. It's, it's something that goes beyond just, you know, a, a, a common sense decision. And then we also have to think about the individuals who are exposed to violence, you know, at the most influential development stages of their life. You know, people who are exposed to intergenerational violence through gang culture, childhood abuse, domestic violence, like at the end of the day, those people are usually the most likely in a society to go back and commit violence. So when we think about deterrence, we have to think about what exactly is it in our society that we are trying to deter people from. We're not trying to deter people from 
getting the death penalty, we're trying to deter people from committing crime. But you can't do that when you fail to identify the factors that influence people to commit gruesome crimes. Okay, so good night, everyone, especially to our viewers and listeners and those who continue to support us, especially in this new year, 2021. I'd like to thank you all for supporting us in our very first season, and I know that you all will continue to do so in this new year. So as it relates to the death penalty and deterrence, I would like to first off commend Gabby in her response and my response will sort of back up or add more meat to what she has already stated. But as it relates to the, the death penalty, individuals normally support the death penalty because it has a retributive factor, it serves as a deterrence, or in terms of just fairness. So for fairness, it's basically an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, deterrence, hoping that the death penalty would prevent acts of crimes, or retribution, which refers to a class of punishment justified as paying back the criminal with suffering that he deserved for suffering which he has already caused. I would like to highlight a statement made by Dr. Janil Matthews, a lecturer in the Faculty of Law at the University of the West Indies conducted, which was stated in an interview by Barbados Today on the 11th of May, 2019, in which he stated that officials should pay more attention to tackling the root causes of crime and violence instead of implementing heavy-handed approaches. And the heavy-handed approach in this case, I would say, is the death penalty. We're in the Caribbean and we know that the death penalty has been around for, for years. It's kind of archaic to us. And as a point of reference, especially in the twin island of Trinidad and Tobago where the death penalty would be more, um, which would have been used most recently in that country. As a point of reference, in 2005, the murder rate in Trinidad and Tobago was 19 times that in England and 16 times that in Canada. If it is that the death penalty is truly deterrent, where it exists, it cannot be that the murder rate is so larger than mainland or bigger countries like England and Canada. It simply isn't working. So yes, people might say it prevents somewhat crimes from happening, but it is not effective. It has not been effective. And I don't think that it will ever be effective. So to say that it is truly deterrent, I haven't seen any, any evidence of that. When Yandelan has simply put, um, there is no empirical evidence. And so I think we should try to find other means of preventing crimes. And as Gabby would have stated, we have to find the root causes. And she stated the causes of crimes have to come from physical abnormalities, psychological disorders, social and economic factors such as poverty, which I think in the Caribbean we are suffering from, lack of income and education, and it is just simply a matter of choice. 
I have to kill this person because this person might kill me. So crime is way more twisted than, okay, if we threaten these people to kill them, they will not kill their, their partners. So that is my um, stance as it relates to the death penalty. Thank you. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so after, after this round, we have a sort of four against one because we see only Kevin truly thinking that death penalty is a deterrent for murder. And then we have the females against him saying that there, it's truly, there is no evidence to show that it is a, it is a deterrent for murder. Um, Kevin, do you have anything to respond to the, to the kind of gang that, that has been, that has been made upon you? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, as anyone would imagine, I'm amenable to change. And I believe that my colleagues has made a, have made a very solid argument, you know. I am minded to agree with them on that point. Uh, in terms of crime, I think they looked at the broader aspect of it, which they did a remarkable job at. Um, I think I more looked at the murder aspect and I may have left out, you know, the broader aspect. So to hear their opinions, it actually, you know, it, it, I am more inclined to agree with them based on how they express themselves. So I am amenable to change. So let's get right into our next question. So the last person sentenced to the death penalty in Dominica was Frederick Newton in 1986 for organizing an attempted coup d'etat. Given that it has been 35 years later, do you think that the court in Dominica will grant the death penalty um, now in our times in modern society and why? I'm gonna throw this question over to Gabby. Gabby, do you think the courts will, um, will rule in favor of the death penalty in Dominica specifically? Honestly, I don't think they will. Um, and the reason I say that is because the last um, execution that is accounted for by Amnesty International, which is the organization that monitors, you know, human rights um, advocacy. And essentially, they reported that the last known execution was 1986, as you previously stated. And then, you know, they also made a note that the authorities in Dominica are not even able to confirm the date of the last sentencing of the death penalty. So that in itself just shows that, you know, even though we haven't enacted or ratified any conclusive legislation towards, you know, the death penalty, at the end of the day, we are slowly progressing away from it. You know, we are not ad advocating for it or strictly enforcing it in a way that you would see in other societies as Chelsea previously stated and as Wendy and, you know, my other colleagues would have previously stated. Um, another point I want to make is that the purpose would be, the purpose of the death penalty would be to bring justice to the victims' families. Um, but the thing is, is that the justice system does not only have a duty to the victim and the victim's family. The justice system has a duty to, you know, ensure that the defendant is afforded protection of the law. And in being afforded protection of the law, you know, he has, I agree, had a fair trial so far, um, as many would say. But then again, you know, 
when we have to think at a holistic picture. And at the end of the day, I think that it essentially goes against what we know constitutionally. Because if we're saying, you know, in the Caribbean, our constitutions are the supreme law of the land, they're rooted in religious and Christian principles and teachings. And we want to teach forgiveness and turn into the chicken church. But then, you know, in reality, we struggle with, you know, practicing it. And at the end of the day, it's not something that we really want to say, no, you know, this person's life got taken away and this person has to pay for it. There are other ways to make the person pay for it. And then at the end of the day, we also have to think about, you know, what it means for the defendant to have his life taken away, especially considering, you know, there's a child that comes into play. And later on, who knows if that child, when they become an adult, would choose to forgive their parents, would want to understand the reasoning behind their actions. You know, it just continuously perpetuates a cycle of violence that really and truly does not benefit anyone. I mean, yes, we can say one is punishment and then the other one is, you know, violence. But at the end of the day, violence is violence is violence. And that's basically my thoughts on it. Uh, I believe the question you asked is whether I think the death penalty will be granted by the courts in Dominica, right? Yes, uh, please. To answer straightforward, no. From a legal standpoint, I mean, the courts here in Dominica, they have to follow the decisions made by the CCJ. And we all know in Nervis and Severe and in Joseph and Boyce, the, the CCJ spoke <laughs> quite, quite um, frank as it relates to the death penalty and, its, and the fact that it is unconstitutional. So I believe straightforward, no, that the courts will not grant it. But I think that it was a good idea to definitely pursue it. Okay, and as for me, as it relates to the death penalty and the climate as it surrounds human rights in this present day and age, not only in the Commonwealth Caribbean, but also worldwide, we see that there are many onlookers as it relates to the death penalty. And it can also be an international matter if it is pursued. I would like to say that as it regards to human rights right now, the death penalty is, it is hard to succeed. It, it, to have it stand, it is very hard. And as Gabby was saying earlier, by legitimating the, or legitimizing the very behavior that the law seeks to repress, which is killing, capital punishment is counterproductive in the moral message it conveys. And to me, I see it as simply hypocritical and for the judges to try to justify it and to let it stand, I think they will have a lot to, to, to battle and they will have a major mountain to climb. It will be a very tough mountain to climb as it relates to the judges justifying any death penalty in this modern age. Indeed, a very tough mountain to climb. Um, so we've seen different viewpoints. Um, some, well, mostly, as Ita said, we see the female taking different viewpoints than Kevin. But um, we're going into another area. And this question, it's basically um, whether we believe that death penalty should be the 
absolute punishment for murder. So do we see the death penalty as the absolute punishment for murder? So Kevin, I'd like to start with you. What do you think? Hi. Um, well, whilst I said that I believe that uh, the courts in Dominica will not rule in favor of the death penalty, but I do support the notion that the death penalty should be the absolute punishment for murder, murder specifically. Uh, for the very fact that you took away a life that you did not help create. And even if you help create that life, um, as can be seen with the relationship between parents and kids, you still have no right to take that life from that person. Many tend to use the Bible to justify why we ought not sentence someone to death. Uh, as we know, the saying, thou shall not kill. But the same Bible also says that whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. So although I have my reservations on this, as you know, Jesus said that if someone slaps you on the left cheek, we ought to turn the other cheek. But I believe the death penalty should remain and should be the absolute punishment for murder. If you didn't help create a life, and even if you did help create a life, you are not God. Don't play God. Don't take someone's life from them. So yes, I believe that it should be the absolute punishment. So while I believe that, yeah, you are not God, so you shouldn't take a life. And I truly believe that. And I agree with Kevin on that aspect and so forth. But the term absolute is so important that one thing I wouldn't agree on is that it should be the absolute, like the only punishment for murder. But I get where you're coming from and I would have to side with certain things that you're saying. So Wendy, what do you think? Emma, I don't think the death penalty should be an absolute punishment for the crime of murder. I mean, there may be rational reasons to retain the death penalty, but to consider capital punishment as the absolute punish as an absolute punishment, I find that a very hard pill to swallow. Because I, I believe that the only absolute aspect I would condone is the absolute right to life. And any such punishment that provides for a limitation on that right should not be retained. Having such an absolute aspect of um, the death penalty is something that you just cannot take back. It is irreversible. We hear stories all the time where innocent persons are put to death. We can't return them to their families either. We have a system, right, that fails to address issues of mental illness, fails to address issues of juvenile delinquency, of drug abuse, and when this persons commit murder, the first response is the death penalty. What does that do for deterrence? Wendy, I agree with where you are, you are coming from. I believe it is very important to consider the term absolute. I believe that death penalty is the most extreme penalty. However, I share conflicting views on whether it should be the absolute punishment. The death penalty as an absolute punishment for murder can be supported only if it is exercised on a condition basis. The death penalty should be carefully exercised as some criminals can be reformed back into society. Moreover, by taking into the mental state or ability of that individual. Again, 
although it can be labeled as an absolute punishment to murder specifically, I share conflicting views on that aspect. Um, well, I'm definitely leaning between, you know, the conflicting view and then just not thinking that it's a good idea at all. And the reason for that is because, you know, the act of taking someone's life cannot be undone or reversed by taking the life of another person. And that is a fact. You know, we think that it should be a punishment, but at the end of the day, you know, it's difficult for everybody involved. Lives are forever changed by the actions of everybody involved. And then when we think about somebody premeditating and, you know, thinking about taking someone's life, that is a deeper psychology that we even, we cannot even understand right now. Like, it's really unfathomable for us in the Caribbean to get our heads around what drives a person to commit murder, what drives a person to premeditate taking the life of another person. And in all honesty, I think that the death penalty may deprive us from truly understanding the mind of someone who took the life of someone else, somebody who took the time to contemplate taking the life of another person. You know, like for example, um, in the 1970s, when the FBI founded their behavioral science unit, people felt that, you know, interviewing and analyzing notorious killers was a crazy idea. And now, today, it's a pivotal role in profiling and understanding the behavior of criminals, serial killers, and those who are compelled to kill. You know, at the end of the day, we really need to assess and ask ourselves, what are we gaining from the death penalty? And what can we gain from abolishing it altogether because when we think about you know what we could be learning so that we can prevent people from going and killing other people we can prevent people from you know taking other people's lives then we just wasting the opportunity you would think that you know at the end of the day when somebody decides you know they're going to take another person's life is just wickedness is spite is anger is jealousy and it could be those things but you have to really understand that there is a big leap from point A, being angry, jealous, to point C, where you kill the person and just erase their existence from the face of the earth. And I think that as you know, a society, we would benefit significantly if we take the time to you know, understand behavioral science, to understand the psychology of killers before we condemn them to the death penalty, to capital punishment, and just you know, think that it's just about getting rid of them from society when we can learn so that we can reform the future generations. Okay, and I will also again fall in line with Gabby here. Um, just to you know, put some perspective and illustrate what we should be considering when we think of making the death penalty the absolute punishment. Um, okay, if it was me, as um, the victim's mom? Or was it my mom looking into someone who killed me? I'm pretty sure in, in the heat of the moment, the first thoughts are, okay, let, let us do away with this person. No, let us, let, let's just get away with them. But this is the reason why we don't take matters into our own hands. And it is the reason why judges and the jury are the people 
conducting that matter, not the person who is experiencing said emotions right now. And we always consider the reasonable man in that situation. That is why we try to put emotions aside because we're trying to think of the most logical and reasonable way in which we deal with situations and hurtful situations at that. The reasons for punishment and putting such measures in place is to ultimately prevent them from happening. From our first question, we kind of all came to one understanding that the death penalty really does nothing. And it's here, it's still here, and it prevents nothing. Murder is still on the rise, crime is still on the rise. So as it being the absolute punishment, I, I don't see it doing anything or, or creating some change or some radical change. That is why we have punishments. So if it's not doing anything, it's not effective, then why, why should it be here? It, sh it should just go away. We should try to, as Gabby said, firstly focus on the reasons why crime and murders are at rise, especially in this present day and age. Even, even while we're under COVID-19 protocols and, and under lockdowns and so forth, crime is still happening. It's because people are going through so much traumatic and, and negative experiences that they are willing to do some of the most gruesome things to just continue living. Some people don't even have a reason to live right now. So maybe if we first on first address that, then we can see a decline in such murders. So that is where I stand. Uh, just to add, um, Chelsea, I noticed that you said that the death penalty, it doesn't deter crime or whatever. And I noticed that when they said words to that effect at the beginning as well. But let me just, um, don't you all think that one of the main reasons why you all are of that opinion that it's, it doesn't deter crime is because it's not being enforced? Imagine if the death penalty was being enforced within the Caribbean. I am pretty sure that you all views may be slightly changed or it would lean more towards that, yes, it does deter crime. So whilst we look at, yeah, it's not deterring crime right now, but we have to bear in mind that it's not being enforced right now. So that is the main reason why it's not deterring the crime, well, in your opinion. But the thing is, Kevin, and I don't want to make it a big thing, but the thing is, is that our criminal justice system in the Caribbean is not suited for, you know, frequent sentencing of the death penalty. Like if every murder case you get somebody assigned to the death penalty, like that is a whole conundrum that we cannot even begin to think about. Or even the more gruesome murderers. When we think about, you know, assigning them the death penalty, what happens over time? Our court systems are significantly backlogged. And at the end of the day, what happens is we basically bordering on infringing their human rights by having them on the death row for such a significant amount of time. Look at that case in Jamaica, you know, when the guy, basic, those guys basically, um, it was Morgan and Pratt and Morgan, you know, they were on the death row for 
five years and essentially they the court had to rule that you know it's unconstitutional for that to be continuously going on and the way that our court system is right now i don't think we can afford to just be saying death penalty death penalty death penalty you know so do we wait for our our um rates our murder rates to actually increase for us to do something significant because i really i and i and i support <laughs> i really support the fact that leaving the death penalty on our books and going further enforcing it will help deter crime especially murders so when i look at crime i more consider murders because you cannot just take an innocent life just like that and you are just sent to jail to live on taxpayers <laughs> to live on taxpayers backs that makes no sense you send you kill someone you go up to the state prison you have your three meals a day you have your juice you exercise, you play basketball, you will push weights, all of these things while someone's life is gone. So yes, it's a touchy subject, but I firmly believe that we need to leave the death penalty on our books and we need to further enforce it. And I believe the jurisprudence from the CC, well, the jurisprudence that comes out from the CCJ will eventually change over time. I believe that that death penalty that we have on our books will eventually be enforced. Not right now, not in 10 years, not in 15 years, but it will at one point in time. Kevin, I don't believe it is the death penalty per se that, deter, that deters criminals. I have already provided some statistics to that effect. Now, I will join with the Constitutional Court in South Africa by saying that we are really deluding ourselves if we believe that executing a few people each year will provide a solution to the unacceptably high crime rate in our countries. The greatest deterrent to crime is the likelihood that offenders will be apprehended, convicted and punished. That is what is lacking in our justice system. It is the certainty of being caught. That I believe is a more effective deterrent than any draconian punishment. Our criminal justice system needs to step up and stop looking at the death penalty as an easy way out. Mm -hmm. If you look at some mentally unstable persons who commit crime, or even those who are in their right mind, it is the certainty of being caught that deters a person from committing crime. It, it, it is not so much the fear of being punished or the severity of the punishment. Effective policing. Effective policing that leads to swift and certain sanction is a way better deterrent. Look at the numbers where we still retain, in countries where we still retain the death penalty. Also to add on to, to Wendy as well, I remember stating earlier also that Trinidad and Tobago, and we all know crime is on the high down there. Trinidad and Tobago was one of the you know most recent as well, Commonwealth Caribbean countries who would have used the death penalty. And not just one person, it was several individuals over courses of weeks. And crime is still on the high. I, I don't see how that gruesome act, I mean, this was news and people still talking about this up until this present day. And crime is still on the high, I, I don't think the death penalty really 
holds that much weight as we would like it to. And I would also like to quote former UN High Commissioner Zaid Rad, as we say in an address to the 36th session on the UN Human Rights Council. And he essentially stated that resorting to the same heavy-handed approaches such as torture and the death penalty, it's essentially a reptilian urge to react in such a tit-for-tat manner and believe that a, a radical change is going to happen. It doesn't happen like that. The, what, what we should be focusing on and trying to put ample resources into is preventing these crimes. I, I feel that a lot of the crimes happening in this present day and age stems from the fact that people have lost that sense of human dignity, that sense of, I should not, I just cannot take someone's life. And why are we, why don't we have that, you know, that sense of human dignity, that sense of, I cannot hurt my, my own brother and brethren. It's because they're put in a position where circumstances are so dire, desperate, and that's just one situation because it can also be physical abnormalities and so and so forth. But they're put in such a, a state that they're suffering, their lack of peace, their lack of, you know, trying to, to do better and so forth is much more prevalent than their own brother and sister. I can see that our debate, our discussion is getting so heated. So let me just rush in and, and ask the final question before we close. So I know that we kind of have a four against one, like I said before. So for the, the, the females who believe that death penalty should not be the absolute um, redress to murder, what other effective forms of solutions do you think can be implemented in place of the death penalty? And to Kevin, yes, I know you think that death penalty should be enforced, but what is the next best thing for you? Uh, yes, I think the next best thing apart from the death penalty would be life imprisonment. Yeah, so I would say that would be the next best option, life imprisonment. However, we see, we see in modern times that persons kill and a couple years later, they end up walking on the street. You see them passing on the street. They tell you, hell, um, they tell you hi, hello, and whatnot. So do we really say that we have an effective life imprisonment sentence here within the Caribbean? I know the, um, the Eastern Caribbean Supreme Court, I know they, they recently released guidelines as to you know the um, sentences for murder and those type of punishments there and so far i see one case in saint vincent has implemented it. it it caused a bit of social uproar but i think the person got 30 years so i believe that's a good start so apart from the death penalty i believe life imprisonment is the next best option but i still support the death penalty and i believe the jurisprudence from the ccj will eventually change regarding that 
Okay, so um, essentially, yes, lifetime imprisonment, you know, the idea of removing a person from society, it seems as if it's an adequate punishment. However, I think that right now we need to start thinking outside the box when it comes to criminal punishment. For example, when you commit a, a tort, an act against another person, but not really a, a criminal act, a civil act against a person, there's a concept called restitution where you have to pay back the person for the harm or whatever you cause. Honestly, I think that we need to take steps towards implementing criminal restitution. And I don't know if anybody's ever thought of the idea. I don't know if, you know, it's something that cannot work, but I honestly feel that, you know, implementing criminal restitution and creating, basically creating programs so that defendants can work and perform menial labor tasks to earn money during the time which they are sentenced, whether it's 25 years or life, so they can continuously pay money to the victims' families or to contribute towards programs for, you know, youth rehabilitation, etc. I honestly feel that that is something that we need to look for. Because I agree with Kevin, you cannot be sentencing a person to imprisonment one day and then the next day, you know, they're out on the street. Or you see in a person you you thought was a convicted killer and you know the person just out because well that's just how it is at the end of the day people need to be held responsible for their actions it's the manner in which we implement or the response therefore i believe that you know an institution such as criminal restitution should be implemented you know you create the programs the defendants once they are found guilty they're sentenced to a certain amount of years by the judge they don't just sit around in prison eating their free meals a day you know, exercising when they feel like and then sleeping or going in solitary or whatever it is they do in the prison. No, you put them to work menial tasks. You put them to do hard labor so that they can earn the money or the money that they would make if they were working out in the outside world. It goes towards the victims' families or it goes towards programs to prevent young men and women from committing those crimes. Another, you know, thing that we need to place emphasis on is rehabilitation, but it's a whole other discussion. And I mean, the introduction of education and vocational programs, counseling and psychiatric treatment in prisons themselves would do a lot of good over time. Because like I said previously, at the end of the day, what we need to do is think about how we prevent those things from happening, how we prevent the intergenerational cycle of violence. You don't prevent an intergenerational cycle of violence for putting by putting somebody in a cell and making them eat and do what they want. You know, you train their minds, you challenge them, you get to learn what is in their deeper psychology. And maybe when we study them, we can, you know, understand what it is that we need to do to prevent the future generation from doing exactly what they did. You know, why this act of domestic violence would cause this 12-year-old boy to grow up beating women and hitting women and hitting, you know, fighting with his friends and killing his best friend and killing that person. You understand what I'm trying to say? So at the end of the day, we need to look at rehabilitation and restitution. Honestly, um, after having listened to Gabby as well, I would have to say that, you know, that is really what I envision as well. So that would be life imprisonment with the, you know, rehabilitation of these felons, but also to add um, that 
during that rehabilitation, they can also, you know, in their own way, seek to help the justice system to find out ways in which we can prevent that from happening again. So I believe that we can also use them to give us maybe some insights into the world in which they grew up in and how they saw themselves to become the person that was willing to murder someone else and try to work with them while they are in prison to, you know, prevent these murderous acts from happening and so forth. Jurisprudentially, effective forms of punishment for convicted criminals is persuasive despite pragmatic difficulties associated with matching the harshness of the sanction to the severity of the crime. There is no other solution apart from being sentenced to jail for life, paired with vocational and skillful training, or even being admitted to a mental facility. I therefore hold the view that in the Commonwealth Caribbean, we are not ready to effectively deal with criminals as, as there are limited resources to our disposal. Well, here you have it. So this was our discussion on the death penalty. And we've seen this argument like a tug of war. And what I believe no one truly considered is the innocence of the convicted person. So my problematic question will lie unanswered. Does the innocence of the victim surpass the innocence of the wrongfully accused? And as I say, it will lie unanswered. Nevertheless, the discussion was intrinsically beautiful and I hope that the listeners would agree with me. Now, speaking of the listeners, I just want to say a hearty thank you for joining us. And I hope that we will get to see you next time. We'll have your support as we continue towards the end of season two. And we are at the beginning, so that means we have a lot in stock for you. I just want to say thank you, Juan. Thank you all. We're signing off.